Let us pray. Father, we thank you that we can come again to your holy word to see what you have to say to us. That though, Lord God, you are highly exalted, you look kindly on the lowly. Though you are lofty, you see them from afar. Father, we thank you that though you are an exalted God, that this earth is too small to even contain you. But Lord God, you notice the lowly. Even though, Father, you are lofty, high and exalted and lifted up, you still see us. You are still the Father that sees your child running back to you. So, Father, as we come to you, as we listen again to your words, Father, we pray that you will see us, that you will see us, that you will take your word and speak to our hearts. So, Father, we want to thank you, God, for your word, that you have not left us alone, but you want to speak to us. So, Father, we open our hearts to you. We open ourselves to you. Father, do your work as you will, for your Son's glory and for our good. Amen. Rory Fick is a Christian author and a country music songwriter. Today, his blog is one of the most read blogs uh, that many people uh, read these days. He not only writes about his faith, but he also writes a lot of heart-tugging stories about his, uh, about his wife especially the times when she had cancer and she passed away a few years ago. I was listening to a podcast that Rory Feet gave when he was talking about his days as a struggling songwriter. For many years, Rory Feet had written many songs and was pitching them across Nashville. No one seemed to be interested in cutting his songs, so he was very discouraged and... Um, and as he was very discouraged, he wanted to throw in the tar, uh, try wanting to give up being a songwriter. But then he decided to give it up to God first. Months passed and Rory Ficht was uh, worshipping in a church in Nashville. On that particular Sunday, he was asked by the pastor to do a solo music item. So he sang a song that he recently co-wrote called The Chain of Love. And there in the middle of the service, he sang the song as a worship song to God and he got off the stage. And there was a gentleman in the congregation that loved the song. So after the service, this gentleman came up to Rory Fick and asked him, uh, Here's my card. Can you come to my office on Monday morning? I want to pitch your song to a country artist by the name of Joe Diffie. I'd like him to hear your song, so why don't you come to my office Tomorrow. At that time, Joe Diffie was one of the biggest and the hottest country music stars in Nashville. His songs were constantly, were constantly in the top 40 and his CDs were selling like uh, hot cakes during that time. So Rory Fick was over the moon that somebody big was wanting to hear his song. So on that Monday morning, he went early to the man's office and about 10 a.m., Joe Diffie, the country music star, came in. He took a seat across Rory Feek and Rory uh, sang the song Chain of Love on his guitar. Rory gave, sang his, song, his heart out on that, that morning. He thought he gave the best performance of that song ever. He thought Joe Diffie must have been the, so moved and would say, I'm cutting your song. 
But Jody Fee was emotionless all through the song. And after the song was over, uh, Jody Fee walked over Rory, pat him on the shoulder and said, Good job, son. And he walked out of the room. Joe Diffie did not end up cutting the song. When, but when Rory, Rory Feek was telling this story over the podcast, he wasn't bitter. Rather, he was filled with gratitude. After years of silence, somebody finally gave him a chance. Though the opportunity didn't really turn out that Joe Diffie would cut the song, he was grateful to God. And when he was telling the story, you can, you can hear the joy in his in his tone, because after all these years of praying to God, finally there was this glimmer of grace, this glimmer of kindness that he experienced on that particular Monday morning. Eventually, Rory Fick's song, The Chain of Love, became a number one hit for Clay Walker, but that happened a few years down the track. But yet there was this moment of grace. Sometimes God gives us these tender moments of grace. It could be a unique phone call in the middle of the night when you're surrounded by darkness of difficulties and a phone call just cheer you up. Or this moment of grace could be a chance meeting with somebody that you don't expect but who greatly encouraged you or an email that reminded you how much you are loved. God gives us this, these kinder moments of mercy and grace to each one of us. And sometimes he does that. Ezra chapter 6 verses 13 and 15 is one of these moments when God gives Israel, when God gives the Jews a moment of kinder grace. Four years have passed since uh, Ezra chapter 4 verse 24 when the rebuilding of the temple came to a halt because of the jealousy of the enemies of the Jews around them. Four long years have passed when, the, when there was all these arguments, this bickering and all of these bad news and bad-mouthing the Jews, letters being sent, discouraging the Jews, people seeking counselors to discourage the Jews. After four long years of silence and bitterness, suddenly there is this moment of God's grace that comes to the Jews. There's these kinder moments of God that God sometimes gives to us. And here there's this special moment um, uh, in the text. Four years later, the Jews finally heard back from King Darius that they have found the Edict of Cyrus and the Edict of Cyrus says that they could rebuild, continue rebuilding the Temple of God. So after four years of waiting, finally this moment of grace comes. So we read in Ezra chapter 6 verse 13. Then because of the decree that King Darius had sent, Tetanai, the governor of the trans-Euphrates, and Shetar Bozanai and their associates began to carry it out with diligence. With one letter from King Darius, God allowed Tetanai and his associates to change their minds from people who kept questioning the Jews about the rebuilding of the temple but because of one letter from the king, now they are involved. Now they're diligently helping the Jews with their rebuilding 
project. There was this moment of grace when things finally turned around. So why does God give us these moments of grace? Number one, it's because God is bound by His Word. God is bound by His Word. Let's read chapter 6 verse 14 of Ezra. So the elders of the Jews continued to build and prosper under the preaching of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the descendant of Edu. After all of this has happened, the king has finally issued his decree allowing them to return back to rebuild the temple. The author of Ezra and Nehemiah doesn't say, oh, it's because of the king, because of the kindness of the king. It's because of the letter of the king Darius wrote. It's because of Titani have uh, turned his heart around and now they're helping us. No, no, no. For the author of Ezra and Nehemiah, this turnaround happened not because of King Darius, not because of the circumstances around him. It happened because of God's word. It is God's word that allowed them to have this turnaround. It's the word of God that allows them to enjoy this tender moment of grace. It is the preaching of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet that's at the heart of all of this doing. It's not Darius, it's not his letters, but it's God speaking through the prophets. In the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, it's the word of God that drives the action within the book. Remember how the book of Ezra begins? Ezra begins in Ezra chapter 1 verse 1 with the issue of the edict from Cyrus. But it did not just come out of thin air. It came because of the word of Jeremiah. Remember Ezra chapter 1 verse 1? In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word that God had spoken by Jeremiah. The Jews were allowed to return right from the start, not because of King Cyrus, not even because of the edict, but because of the word of God, because God wants to fulfill his word that was spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. Why does God give us these moments of grace? Because God has promised that He is gracious, that He takes care of us. And that's why and sometimes in our most difficult situation, He sometimes gives us these moments of grace. And, and, and these are moments of grace are given because God has promised. Then in chapter 5, you remember, after the rebuilding of the temple was at a standstill because of the enemies, because they were uh, bickering about the whole project. Remember what happened in chapter 5. The Word of God gets the temple project going again. We read in chapter 5 verse 1. Now Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet, the descendant of Edu, prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem. The name of the God of Israel was over them. Then Zerubbabel son of Shetel and Joshua son of Jezadak set to rebuild to work to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem and the prophets of God were with them supporting them even though in the midst of this project being stopped and halted by the enemies of the of the Jews it was the prophets the word of God that got them enough courage 
rebuild again. It's the word of God that's the traffic controller that gave the green light to the rebuilding of the temple in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. Why does God give us these moments of kindness and grace? Because He promises to take care of us. And sometimes in His kindness and grace, He shows us that He's trustworthy, that He is loving, that He is gracious, that He is kind. I remember the first time when I visited Chicago. One of the places I visited was the home of Michael Jordan. No, I wasn't invited into his home, but as many tourists did at those times, we would usually go and look at the gate of Michael Jordan. And until 1997, Michael Jordan was uh, the leading player in NBA for over a decade. But it's been quite commonly known that he was not the best, well, best, uh, the highest paid player. When he was asked why he was uh, not being paid, uh, as much as the other players, Michael Jordan always says, it's because I honor my word. You see, I signed a contract many years ago, even before I became famous, he would tell. And, uh, and in order to honor that contract, I've never broken it and I've never asked for more. And I did that because I want people to know that I, when I gave my word, I stick to it. And even though years later, when Michael Jordan could have asked for more money, he never asked for more because he felt that he was always bound to his word. He once said to reporters, you stand by your word, even though that might go against you. And his silence of not asking for more and standing by his word and his silence becomes such a roar. And that's how God works. Why would God, out of all this very difficult times with the Jews, give them these moments of grace? Because God had already promised the Jews, through his prophet Jeremiah, through his prophets Haggai and Zechariah. When God promised that he would be there for them in chapter 5, here in chapter 6, we see God fulfilling His word, that God cares for His people. Number two, why does God give us these moments of kinder grace? God gives us these moments of grace to lead us to the greatest moment of His grace. Yes, in this life, God does, in circumstances, give us moments of grace. Yes, God does heal your aunt from cancer. Not all the time, but he does work miracles. Sometimes he surprises us with answers that we don't expect, like Rory Feek uh, heard the answer out of many years of waiting. When nobody was ever interested in his song, suddenly when he was in church, somebody approached him. Yes, God does surprise us from time to time. Yes, God does open opportunities for us when we think we're in a dead end. Yes, God gives us these moments of kind of grace. And yes, we should rejoice in those moments. But don't let your hearts be so fixated on these moments that it does not lead you to the ultimate moment of grace. What do I mean by that? The many health, wealth, prosperity, 
preaches, Swarley tells us to run to these little moments of grace, like health, wealth, and prosperity. But they never tell you to go further. To go further to the greatest moment of grace, and that is Jesus Christ and the cross. Notice here, although God did allow the Jews to rebuild the temple, but the temple was far from complete. Though God gave the Jews here in the book of Ezra a moment of grace, this was not their ultimate moment of grace. If you look at Ezra chapter 6 verse 4, we know that the temple, the, uh, the Bible tells us that the temple was 60 cubits high and 60 cubits wide. Why doesn't the author tell us the breadth of the temple? only tells us that the temple is 60 cubits high and 60 cubits wide. Many scholars have suggested it's because the temple is yet to be completed. The temple that uh, Ezra uh, chapter 6 talks about here is far from complete. Even the dedication doesn't sound complete. Here the people have finished the temple and there was a dedication service at verses 16 to 17. Let's read it for ourselves. Then the people of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the rest of the exiles celebrated the dedication of the house of God of joy. For the dedication of this house, they offered a hundred bulls, two hundred rams, four hundred male lambs, and a sin offering for all Israel, twelve male goats, one for each tribe of Israel. The, the, the author of Ezra and Nehemiah only devotes two verses to the temple's dedication. In the book of Chronicles, when Solomon first dedicated the temple, one whole chapter was devoted to its dedication. Even the numbers of offerings being offered here in Ezra chapter 6 verse 17 is small. They only offered 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 male goats. If you compare them with the first temple, it is small. And in the dedication of the first temple, God's fire came down from heaven and burned the sacrifices. Here there is not even a smoke mentioned. Why? Because though God has given the Jews a breakthrough, though God has allowed them to dedicate the temple, the temple was far from complete. There is a greater temple to come. And notice in verse 17, at the dedication of the temple, the Jews offered sin offerings for all tribes of Israel, 12 male goats, one for each tribe of Israel. But we know that in reality, if you look at chapter 2 of Ezra, not all the tribes came back. Only two out of the 12 tribes of Israel came back from the exile. Why? The temple is far from complete. There are yet more people yet to return to God. Only two tribes have returned. More will come. Why? Because the temple that the God is presenting to us here, although it's a, it's a moment of grace that God has given to them, it's not the ultimate moment. This temple is far from the ultimate temple. And we know from the New Testament that Jesus Christ is the ultimate temple. Not the temple here in Nazareth and Himalaya. This is only a small prefiguration of the greater temple to come. 
of a greater temple, whereby the temple will not only be extended to all tribes of Israel, but will also include the Gentiles when all will come. Remember what Jesus said when Jesus was clearing the temple in John chapter 2? Jesus answered the, the people who are opposing him. Jesus says, destroy this temple. And I will raise it in three days. And they reply, it's taken us 46 years to build this temple. And you're going to raise it in three days? But the te temple he had spoken of was his own body. After he has been raised from the dead, his disciples recall what he has said. Then they believe the scriptures and the words that Jesus had spoken. Jesus here talks about himself being the greater temple. He is the greater temple, much greater than Ezra's temple here. He will not only Im invite the 12 tribes to return, but the 12 tribes will not only return, but the Gentiles will also come to worship Him. What does this have to say to us? God gives us these moments of grace, but we should not just cherish these moments of grace only. These moments of grace need to lead us to Jesus and to the ultimate reality of His kingdom that He gives to us. Yes, God may give, grant us healing in this present life. I believe that God does heal people of, of COVID-19. I do believe that God does sometimes heal people from cancer. I believe God does restore a, a broken neck. I believe that, but we should not let that healing be ultimate. We should let that healing lead us to the greater healing, and that is Jesus Christ, and the healing that He gives to us at the cross, that ultimately we will be with Him forever. Yes, God may give us um, moments of His grace in terms of finances, Praise God if God has prospered you in this life, but don't leave it there. Let your, let your blessing lead you to the eternal treasures in the kingdom of God in heaven, and which is far better than the treasures of this world. Yes, God may give us life right now to enjoy, but don't let this life be the only life you know. Bring, let this blessing lead you to the eternal life that Jesus gives. Do not just build your life on this planet and this kingdom alone, but build your life on God's eternal kingdom that will last forever. Do not just rejoice in the things of this world only. Rejoice in Jesus, who is the ultimate joy and the ultimate goal in and this is what the book of Ezra is trying to teach us. Yes, the temple has been rebuilt, but there is an underlying message. It's not enough. This temple is far too small. This temple longs for a greater temple. This temple longs for Jesus to come. Do not just love this life, but love the eternal life that Jesus gives. Do not just love the blessings in this life. Love the eternal kingdom of God that far outweighs the kingdom of this world. So what does this mean to us practically? Let's take some pastoral moments to reflect upon what God is saying to us today.
Number one, when you teach yourselves and your children, do not just ask them to invest in the temporary kingdom of this world only. Do not just sell your son or your daughter, oh, just earn as much money as you want in this world. No, invest your life in the kingdom of God and the treasures of God's kingdom far outweighs the treasures of this moment. Secondly, if God blesses you, or even if God doesn't bless you in this life with what you want, we need to always figure out what Jesus and what Jesus wants and what ultimately matters in God's kingdom. Let the blessings of this life lead you to Christ and His glories. This week, we just lost Robbie Zacharias, one of the Christendom's greatest apologists and evangelists. I remember growing up loving every book that Robbie Zacharias has ever written and always trying to get all of his books and trying to treasure and read every story that Robbie Zacharias had ever told. He was one of the greatest storytellers too in the midst of his apologetic work. One of the stories I really loved about Robbie Zacharias was the time when he was invited to meet Sheikh Talel um, in the Middle East. Sheikh Talel is uh, one of the main leaders of the Hamas. The Hamas in the Middle East have often been known for their violence and their cruelty and the ways in which they do things. But Hamas one time wanted to talk about the peace process between Palestine and Israel. So they invited a select group of uh, leaders from all over the world to come to meet with Sheikh Talel uh, to talk about peace in the Middle East. The Sheikh invited uh, 12 representatives from around the world, leaders around the world, to have dinner with him. And each of these 12 representatives were allowed to only ask one question in this dinner party together. Only had one question only. So Sheikh Talal gave them a big meal, a very prestigious meal, and each of them were to ask questions. So when it came to, for Robbie Zacharias to ask his question, Robbie Zacharias knew that Sheikh, uh, uh, this Sheikh himself was a very cruel man. In order to get his uh, agenda across, he would do anything. He even served uh, in prison uh, for 18 years and he would mercilessly let his sons embark in suicide bombing missions and sacrifice his own sons for his own agenda. So when it came time for Ravi Zacharias to ask the Sheik question, this is what Ravi said. Sheik, forgive me if I'm asking you the wrong question, but please tell me, what do you think of suicide bombing and sending your children out like that? After he finished the answer, uh, 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 the sheikh finishes answer, Ravi Zagras says, Sheikh, you and I may never see each other again. So I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me. A little distance from here is a mountain upon which Abraham, some 5,000 years ago, offered his son. And as the axe was about to fall, God said, Stop! Do you know what God said after that? The sheikh shook his head and Ravi continued. God says, I will provide. 
The sheik nodded his head, and Ravi said, Very close to where you and I are sitting, sheik, is a, a hill. 2,000 years ago, God kept the promise and brought his son, and the axe did not stop at the time. He sacrificed his own son. The sheik just stared at Ravi Zacharias. The whole room was right now silent, and Ravi said, I may never see you again, Sheik, but I want to leave this with you. Until you and I receive the son that God has provided, we will be offering our own sons and daughters in the battlefields for this world and for its power and for its greed. We will still continue to give our sons and our daughters. And Ravi could see the man's lips quiver. And they didn't say anything, and that was the end of the evening. Sheikh Talal came around, shook everybody's hands, and just before he went, he grabbed Ravi by the shoulders, kissed him on the side of his face, and said, Oh, you are a good man. I hope to see you again someday. But I think Ravi Zacharias that night said something really, really profound. If all you chase after in this life is your own agenda, your own happiness, even these tiny moments of grace alone, you will always be in hunger for more and more. And you will do anything and everything for more and more of these moments that you will even sacrifice your sons and your daughters Push them into the bomb suicide mission. Sacrifice them. Sacrifice their agendas. Sacrifice their hearts to get what you want. Because the human heart is evil. The human heart is greedy. The human heart is hungry. Always for more and more self-comfort. Always for more and more pride always for more and more satisfaction. This can only stop if it leads us to Jesus Christ, the source of all satisfaction. Until He becomes Lord and we surrender all our desires to Him, we will use others, even those closest to us, to get what we want. Unless these little moments of grace lead us to the grace giver himself, we will always be in want. God has given us a bigger temple, and that's Jesus Christ. Unless you find your rest in him, this world will always be restless with you. Because there will always be diseases, there will always be wants, there will always be longing, unless they find the fulfillment in Jesus. Let these grace moments lead you to the grace giver. Jesus Christ. Father, as we come before you this morning, we thank you that you have been gracious and a loving God, 
that you show your grace and kindness to us in little ways so that we can come to Jesus, to the ultimate true word of yours, that's Jesus Christ. Father, there are many preachers who only promise a temporary to their congregation, but that is so dangerous because it never satisfies the hunger in us. And we will do more and more even malicious and sinful things to get more. But Father, our satisfaction is in you. So Father, as we come in these moments, we want to again surrender to Jesus Christ. Father, may we find in him our satisfaction. May we find in him our healing. May we find in him our joy. May we find in him our purpose. So that Father, we will not use others to find our own joy. So that we will not use people to satisfy our own agendas. Unless we come to the Calvary and allow and accept the Son of God, we will always be sacrificing our sons and daughters for our own selfishness. So Father, we thank you. We thank you that the temple that Ezra and built, as the people, the Jews built in Ezra and Nehemiah's time was not big enough. Because it points to a bigger temple, and that's Jesus Christ. So Father, as we come before you, we pray that indeed we will find Jesus. And I pray for anyone listening to this podcast, listening to this sermon at this time, who doesn't know you, who doesn't know the joy of being a son or a daughter of a living God. Father, I pray that he or she may open his or her heart to Jesus, to Jesus, and that they may come to surrender themselves once again to Jesus. Father, we thank you that you are the ultimate fulfillment of all prophecies. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.